Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall with my guys Roa and Mike to talk some kicks. What's good, fellas? How you guys doing? You know, doing good, man. Just uh, thoroughly confused by the weather here in Texas because I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt again. It was hey, 30 degrees okay. two weeks ago. I don't know what's happening. That's that's the most Texas statement you've made in the last 30 minutes, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, te- we all know Texas is its own country masquerading around as a state, and we're here for it. So we're doing good in uh, sunny, sunny Portland. <laughs> it's it's actually funny. We've had we had that kind of crazy uh, crazy temperature drop here in Sacramento. We went from we had an eighty degree, we had like a seventy five and an eighty degree day to like a forty eight degree day. So I hate that. You know, just yeah. And then now it's uh, we're in. I want to say we're in. Like probably like day, kind of like day one and a half of a supposed ten day rainy streak. So, mm. I mean, not that I'm excited about the rain for that long, but <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good. It's good. We need we need the rain. I mean, all these fires out yeah. here in California, man. I'll take as much rain as I can get right now. So, yeah. uh, no, that's something. Once I moved to the Pacific that's... Northwest, I never realized how much I found the rain soothing and therapeutic in a sense. And it's one of those things that when I go home for the summer in Missouri, or even if I go home for the winter, I can't handle anything other than a like 57 degree overcast day anymore. So as you get older, <laughs> you get softer. So I like the rain. I like the fact that I can make a sad emo story where I have uh, Hillary Duff's Let the Rain Play as I just put my palm on the windowsill of my office and I just pretend I'm super, super emo. But I digress. <laughs> uh what is quarantine oh, done man. a road? <laughs> Get that Disney Plus, man. Relive your Lizzie McGuire fantasies, sneakerheads. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of right there with you on the time frame because after the inauguration and hearing uh, the new Radicals, so I mean, that album is actually one of my favorite albums of all time. Even though they only had the one hit song, which is a extremely positive song, the rest of the album is <laughs> is up and down quite a bit. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because the hearing like Greg Alexander talk, like I've been a big fan of him because he's a, he's a crazy musician, right? Written for literally everyone on the planet at this point. And like, you know, Michelle branch Santana levels of popularity songs, right? Like he's written for Katy Perry and all these people, but somehow because at the time that that album came out, I was big into bucket hats. As you guys know, I'm pretty much live with a hat on my head 
contrary to what the internet thinks, I don't sleep with one on my head. But at the time, I was like, I was nothing but bucket hats, right? That guy was was the the public facing bucket hat, you know, uh, provocateur, if you will. But my my mm-hmm. uncle actually was like, this guy kind of looks like you. Sent me the album. Uh, I can't remember if 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 he somehow. So my uncle used to he's work. He's on the cover, isn't in, he? Like he's just yeah, sitting yeah, down yep. on the cover. Yep. But my uncle used to work in like the music industry and has a lot of like he's very early on in the music world. So I'm pretty sure we got I got that album or at least heard of it before it really hit the radio. And they they broke up technically before the second single even came out. But because I was so into the album like pre them becoming a thing, my dad and I actually went and saw them play at this tiny club in Sacramento. It was it was terrible. I mean, the music was great, but it was like it was like if I invited you guys over to this sneaker room for an actual concert and you're just like it is so <laughs> loud in here and we can't move. I'm pretty sure I just got some, you know, disease from this person standing next to me cuz they're so close to you. This is where COVID And of started. course yeah exactly and of course you've got to you know like me being a music fan i feel obligated that you've got to stay for the whole show whether you really want to or not but at that point like nobody really knew any of the other songs so i felt like i was like the only person there that was kind of singing along with like the first like six songs that he played and then finally it was like okay cool he's gonna play the hit and then, like, everybody left literally instantly as he finished playing that song. Everybody was like, okay, we're out of here. It's too hot. It's too stuffy. It's too many people. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> oh, man. But hey, you know? No, so, I say, I Nick, got to... so now that we know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I just was going to say. So I got to see, got to check seeing the new radicals off my bucket list. <laughs> Boom. Click. Right. I wonder what two things, right? First of all, I need to get your bucket hat power rankings. Like, where does Greg Alexander fit amongst the schoolboy cues <laughs> of the world? Because I think that was a torch that has been passed from one generation onto another. And it's one of those things where when I heard that they're getting the new radicals for the inauguration, and my thought was, is this almost similar to the Axl Rose Chinese democracy thing where it's just one person and they just get a bunch of rental musicians to fill out the rest of the school? <laughs> So similar to when Miami got LeBron and Chris Bosh and they're running out like Carlos Arroyo or they have that promotion run the point (laughs) night at the Heat. (laughs) It's fantastic. So I'm always here for it because to your point, you get what you give. Great life message. (laughs) Great song. But how? Why? I'm I'm sure (laughs) – People are excited about it, but I was like, okay, Biden, this is, I don't know what type of flex is this, but you got to flex off in your first day as a president. So good for you. <laughs> like, congratulations, you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, to, I guess, uh, not necessarily answer your question about the the bucket hat uh, connoisseurs, but to, to just say the connection <laughs> there between like hip hop and Greg Alexander um, I can't remember the exact quote and I couldn't pull it up quick enough to say it, but I was actually, when I was on Twitter the other day, as the inauguration was happening, Ice-T tweeted out that he and a bunch of gangsters, as he calls it, were on a road trip from Vegas to LA playing that song on repeat at full at high volumes or something like that. And I just thought, 
Yeah, that's, that's basically it, right? Like, I want to listen to the new Radicals on a road trip with iced tea. Like, honestly, I didn't know that that was my life goal, but it is absolutely my life goal at this point. Like, maybe Schoolboy Q is into the new Radicals too. Maybe he was like, "Look, the bucket hat plays. I'm going to bring it back after everybody forgets about these guys." You know, could be. But, yeah. Bucket hat consistently underrated in terms of apparel. Dude, I, I agree. I agree. Hats. I think I think we just go full on bring the bucket hat back for an episode Dude. in the future. What do you guys think? I need to go buy a new one. I used to have uh, I had a had the traditional fuzzy Kangol bucket hat when I was in high school. Uh, then I had this old throwback Lakers one. It was the blue and light blue uh, Lakers. Mm-hmm. Man, I need new. Thanks, thanks, guys. Every time we get on the show, I gotta go buy something. <laughs> Every freaking time. <laughs> Put it this way, I feel you were made for a bucket hat, Mike, for some reason. It just screams to me that you need to have that. And I think when you put it on, it's more like a fuck it hat because no fucks will be given and you will be a classic Zero given. (laughs) And a rogue wearing such an exquisite piece of headwear. So anyway, that was bucket hat history. What else else do we have to talk about? (laughs) Hey, that's it. Let's wrap. Done. Oh, oh man. that was fantastic. All right, so so what do you guys been rocking and copping? Non-bucket hat edition. Well, that's next week. Next week when we come in, it's like, Mike, what you cop? A bucket hat. We had to. A bucket hat. <laughs> no, but I've been rocking. You know, so I had, came to a realization that Nick put me in a weird corner when I wore this shirt. Anytime I wear this shirt, I have to only wear one pair of shoes, and it's these. You can only wear that shoe. Because I feel like if you wear anything else, it's just kind of sacrilegious. So, I mean, Concords were worn today. Um, all right. I'm, yeah, I'm what, into what, it. I mean, you kind of have to. I can't put like threes on. It's like, well, you, what's going on? You have Concords on your shirt, threes on your feet. So, I got a lot of things happening. But um, You're a big 311 fan if you do that. <laughs> hey, is that amber or is that just the color of your energy? <laughs> That's the color of I, mean, I mean, here I'm hoping I come original with my pick, which is the Hassan Minaj Cole Han. Uh, I even forgot what the sneaker is. I'm just going to call him the Air Minaj because, you know, he's a brown brother. But I like him. I got it for Christmas. And I'll admit to you, sneaker history audience, we don't wear sneakers during the pandemic because, come on, think about it. Sneakers so, out. that being said, we will pretend we will all be displaying heat every episode from here on out. Unless you're Robbie who gets 15 pairs a week and he's just killing it. And that man will truly be walking in every new sneaker pair that he gets. So yeah, I'm very jealous, but I'm also happy for Robbie because that man truly lives and breeds that sneakerhead aesthetic. About that life. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so I, uh, I, I can't say that I've been wearing new shoes or a different pair every day. But I've been trying to take pictures of some of the shoes that I have before I ultimately let go of them and make some more space in my life. But uh, today, this is this is one of my favorite question colorways, and I hope that they retro it at some point. But it's uh, basically like a black toe, ice red bottom, 3M tongue. Uh, I can't remember exactly when it came out. Probably, I want to say like 2000 seven or so maybe but 
Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I just, I'm just, I just love questions, man. It's that's the worst part about like the obsession for me is like, okay, I'm I'm taking these pictures. I want to wear these shoes. I also have way too many of these shoes, and I just don't have, I just don't have enough like fitteds and hoodies to go with all the colorways of questions, which now throws me right into the boat with Mike, where you've got to buy stuff because you start thinking about sneakers and yeah, I don't know. Well, that, oh, that the, said, the buckets are going to replace that, you know, you get your buckets, you're going to get the bucket for that, that question. And we're good now. Uh, I need to, but, uh, I need to, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I need, yeah. What are you popping like? Oh, no, no, right you now. go, you go. You start talking, you had mid thought. really jumping at the bit. I was just going to say, pull up with a 15 footer wearing your bucket hat, wearing your Iversons. Like, you're a walking bucket, and then some, Nick. <laughs> legend. Like, legend. Legend status. Legend status. And speaking of legends, Mike, what are you copying? Because I so rudely interrupted you. No, no, you're good. That, that, you know what? That was a valid statement. We had to make that heard. But, uh, no. uh, so I know you and Robbie already talked about the LeBron watch and. You know, me and LeBron, uh, me and me and LeBron, yeah, we didn't talk today. Uh, but me and me and Robbie had our, uh, our our crying session through the the uh, the the group chat on Saturday. But I made up by purchasing the Asia exclusive uh, LeBron that was supposed to come out here, but I don't know if it ever will for under retail. So I'm not flexing anybody because I bought it for well under retail, so it should be here. On uh, in a couple of days, but I also bought a pair of the uh, New Balance, what fifty seven forties, for oh nice hundred hundred bucks in Bodega. I don't know they're already being shipped, so they can't take them back. But they're supposed to be one hundred twenty bucks. They were listed for a hundred dollars, and I got them for a hundred nine after you know tax and shipping. So I'm not gonna can't take them back now, guys. Too late. It's almost like you have a YouTube channel about balling on a budget, Mike. That's just very, <laughs> very exquisite brand tie in there. Sad self-promotion. <laughs> there is nothing Nicely sad done. about self-promotion, King, as my Peloton instructor tells me. That's something I'm going to try to incorporate more into the episode is calling everybody King. So for me, what I copped recently was a pair of Grinches, but unfortunately eBay continues to be the best and the worst of humanity. And oh, no. long story short, I was unable to get those Grinches, but I, for a silver lining, I was able to get the refund. And now I'm wondering, is this money better saved trying to get the Grinches again? Or I think I'm just going to put it in a piggy bank for yet another rainy day in Portland. How about what you? What happened? Just he or she, cause you know, I don't want to be gender biased. This, the seller said, I've got a pair for 390. I decided I need to haggle it down to 360. He said, yeah. meet me at 380. And I said, all things considered, that's not bad. And yeah. it was too good to be true. And then it's one of those things where I call it the Kaiser Soze moment, spoiler alert, where you're looking at all the information and you're like, wait a minute. He didn't have any pictures of this. He's only oh, sold two things on eBay. No. And I can literally see the coffee cup in my hand dropping down to the ground, exploding. And then I'm like, this mother. So... <laughs> I'm happy for you, Abby. Three, four, four, five. I hope you enjoyed the three hundred and eighty bucks that I gave you, and then you refunded back to me. <laughs> Dang, eBay. Yeah. Dang, <laughs> that's a bummer, so man. So better than StockX. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Man. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. But um, so I I am gonna do a little throwback because I'm I'm greatly uh, I I don't know how to say this, but like there's been a shoe that I've been looking at since it came out. It was it was in my one year of not buying shoes, and I have tried to not be obsessed over it, but I continue to look for it in my size at a discounted price. Uh, I almost bought a pair this weekend, but it's the it's the Adidas Lexcon White Mountaineering collab. It's a weird looking shoe. Mm. It's chunky. It's got straps. It's just a bizarre looking shoe, right? There's two yeah. colorways, and I actually I love both the colorways. I would take either one of them. But specifically, like I came across the Alike website, which I can't remember where they are actually at, Germany, I believe, um, and saw that they had a 30% off weekend coupon. Mm -hmm. Me being the financially responsible individual that I have become, decided not to pull the trigger, even though they had a size 13, uh, (laughs) excuse me, a, a size 48 translated to a US 13, I should say. Uh, which would have brought the kind of discounted price. I think retail on the shoe is like two twenty, and yeah, it was already on sale. Another thirty percent basically came out to about one hundred and ten euros. Okay. I hesitated. I didn't buy them on Saturday night, and Sunday evening rolls around, and I'm like, you know what? I think I got to do it. I really want them. They got my size. I haven't seen them that cheap in my size since they first kind of disappeared off the market. But lucky me, it was a weekend sale based in Germany only. So the 30% was no longer Uh... available. And therefore (laughs) I did not purchase the shoe. Uh, I became even more obsessed over it. Still can't find, I don't want to pay $300 for this shoe. I know there's not enough people that want that shoe for me to pay $300 for it. but that is my not copped, not wish, like my just disappointment. <laughs> cop, cop. Yeah, cop, not cop, something like that. Uh, but I will say that like the one shoe that kind of caught my eye today um, was the Sakai Vapor Waffle. The, actually, two colorways like that, like kind of black and gray with a gum bottom colorway. Yeah. And the uh, the the more like gold and, and navy. I didn't like that shoe when it first came out. I haven't liked the Sakai stuff really that much at all. But doing the stuff that I've been doing with Sneaker Throne, working with Bruce Ha, who's like Bruce Ha T-O-O on Instagram. I'm not saying go to look at his page because you'll absolutely want shoes that you do not want to spend money on. But Bruce's photos of Bruce's photos of the of the burgundy colorway of that Sakai. Whew, man. Like, literally changed my mind about that shoe. Like, I saw him posting with the sunset and with the, like, the, the kind of the two different shots that he posted. I'm just like, okay, I see what people see about this shoe now. Although, <laughs> I will say, me being like, you know, 6'1 and a fairly, uh, a fairly stout man, I will probably look really, really interesting wearing that no, shoe. No, they're built for um, people like your height, like, if I put them on, I'm like, they're like, bro, yeah, flippers. What's up? Like, but it's gonna make me even taller, and that's even more awkward. I feel no, <laughs> no. You no, are a mountain okay. of a man. You're good, man. A mountain of a shoe. <laughs> For you, by you, Nick. For Fubu, yeah. 
<laughs> Draymond John. Uh. <laughs> oh, we man. All watch Shark yeah, so, we know how it gets down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's still a too expensive a shoe. It's too hype for me. Yeah. Like, I... I mean, I might enter a draw for them at this point because of seeing Bruce's photos, but uh, it's still probably not going to be on the actual like pickup list for me anytime soon. So, hey, but I, I sent you all those four D sneakers now. Don't, don't forget, don't forget now. I, sent you I all know, those I know. <laughs> I, you know how hard it is for me to not get those. So, so I actually think. This is a very hot take. It might literally burn me on the internet for people coming back at me. I actually think at this point, I, I've so I've left Ultra Boost and uh, my Alpha Edge 4Ds by the door since I moved back up here in August, right? And so inevitably, I'm wearing one of those two shoes at least a couple times a week, just because I wanted to actually compare and try to like really have like a pretty solid comparison of those two. I actually think that the 4D might be better in the long run than an Ultra Boost. And I haven't tried, like, the, the new Ultra Boost is supposed to have even more boost, which could be interesting. It's I don't like the style as much, but I think that the 4D actually made me realize the faults of the Ultra Boost, which for a long time I really thought was kind of like the perfectly comfortable shoe. Well, they bottom out that boost. Cause I have some of my Ultra Boost 1.0s, that my dog walking shoes, and they're so comfortable, but they bottom out to where you're not getting that same spring back. But yeah, I say that the uh, those SNS, those what ZX 4000 boot or uh, 40 I bought, way better than a consortium pair. I don't know if they just made these a little springier, huh. but that consortium runner sucks. But this one, I've been wearing it like nobody's business, and it is so comfortable. Interesting. Do you think the consortium pair was meant to be hype and thus not wear worn as much? I I think so because they called the runner, so I tried to run in them, and literally my shin almost fell off. It's how bad it was. But uh, these were, I mean, you know, four D's heavy already, but I put these on and they're just like probably how Nick feels in the Alpha Edge. It's just ready to go. Like it's a stable comfort. Clearly, it's not softest boost, but Sometimes the stability you have kind of makes up for the squishiness, if that makes sense. It's it's interesting, though, because I actually think um, I wrote a little bit about this on the on the Sneaker Throne blog last week. And I think that Adidas's approach with 4D is I think they're being a lot more aggressive with the progression of 4D compared to the progression of boost right like boost was very much a simple like cool like throw it all you know throughout the midsole maybe throw in torsion or some sort of piece of stability and we're good to go and i think with with 4d if you look at like the um the fusio right is that new pink mm -hmm. and black one that this kind of popped up everywhere so one they're molding the upper to rather than it just being a one piece where like the separation on even your ZX4000 4D, right? It's no different. Like you can obviously see the midsole outsole where it's glued and attached to the upper, yeah. right? Yeah. And what they did on that Fusio is is they use that rubber kind of overlay part as a as more of a literally like a fused upper kind of thing to 
I think transfer more of the cushioning and 4D elements into the upper so it feels a little bit more stable. Because I think a lot of, uh, you know, my takeaway from the 4Ds was they are the same as like Ultra Boost or any of those like crazy boost shoes where it's just not quite as stable as you would want for a, the yeah. average person. As a sneaker person, you're probably curious enough about it and you've worn stuff, you know, that is, you know, totally unstable. But like, it's a sacrifice we all make, right? Yeah. But I will say that like the progression of 4D technology for Adidas, I think that they see that, hey, look, they're the only ones really going full head, full steam ahead in that world. And I think that what you might be experiencing is not not an intentional thing with the consortium pack, but literally just the differences that they're progressing through in the 4D material because they're pushing that hard with it. Totally being optimistic. Yeah they could totally disappoint me and come out with something that completely sucks next year. And I'll be like, yeah, th throw this theory out the window, but it feels like they are very much like honed in on making that and the parley and, and recyclable stuff, which we'll talk about in a little bit, a yeah. like primary focus of the future of a lot of their footwear. Yeah. But that's just my thought. Makes sense though. I mean, because that Ultra 40, people have been loving it. I haven't heard a single bad thing about the Ultra 40. I want to get my hands on one, but that's like the one Adidas shoe selling out constantly in the colors I want. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, should we should we get into a review? Let's get into a review yeah. because, as All you guys right. mentioned, the future is also part of history. It's just history that hasn't occurred. But we'll talk about something that has occurred, and that is a review by Shootistics from January 22nd, 2021. Best podcast for everything sneakers. Now, that's high acclaim, so thank you for that. The Sneaker History Podcast is by far my favorite outlet for everything sneakers. The crew does an amazing job touching on anything going within the sneaker world and consistently lends their spot-on insight that sometimes challenges the norm. The ability that these guys have to gracefully weave old sneaker stories between the banter and news is something that really sets this podcast apart from the rest. The knowledge and passion of these guys have for sneakers is an inspiration. So much so, in fact, that I was inspired to create my own sneaker blog, combining my passion for sneakers and data analytics and visualization. You can check it out at shootistics.com. Keep up the great podcast and sharing your knowledge and stories within the community. Thank you so much, and I think... Dope. I know, Nick, you probably feel this way, and I'm sure, Mike, you do as well, because you guys are both creators as well. That is awesome that somebody has decided, you know what? These guys are talking. Why not me? And why can't I write? And more importantly, why can't I do cool stuff with data analytics and visualization? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually really freaking dope. I mean, it's always nice when someone says, you, you know, inspired you to do something. But I, I'm more interested to see exactly what this is. Like, I'm definitely going to take a take a peek at it. Yeah, Please join our Patreon, I mean, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should we should definitely figure out a way to to work together on some stuff. I think that's a fascinating piece of of what's going on that we don't necessarily, uh, you know, like. Obviously, I'm thankful for the praise, thankful for the feedback, the review. Um, but like thinking of like what you're doing with that, that's something that I would love to to kind of bring more into the picture of what we do because mm -hmm. I, I think like you know, it's a really challenging thing for us to always, always keep weaving all these stories with old and new, right? Because, you know, sneaker history for me was just originally just an outlet for me to talk about the stories that I felt the brands were forgetting or maybe mistelling those stories. And now it's grown into something much, much more dynamic and much bigger. So 
um man that's that's super awesome and and honestly like yeah that's super dope i'm i'm super stoked about that nice all right so we wanted to uh i guess i guess talk a little bit about um some interesting marketing I don't know if it's not necessarily all marketing, right? But like, let's talk about wear testing shoes, not our friends at wear testers, but let's talk about the Tom Sachs wear tester program. I, I'm i going to toss it to one of you guys to kind of explain the background on it because I honestly don't fully, I, do, I wasn't fully in the loop all the way through. But it seems like on one hand, this has been like, almost overlooked by the sneaker community in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And maybe that could be because of the Mars Yard stuff and Tom Sachs is like, we, it's almost like we burnt that out. That candle's already done and gone. But also, I think like maybe as I'm saying this, like this might be a super genius way to get non-sneaker consumers involved in the sneaker hype cycle, if that makes sense. What do you guys think? I look at it as it's almost developing a new hype cycle because like you had mentioned, Nick, they're doing things in a different way where they're leveraging a wear tester. And when we think of wear tester, we think of that early on in a shoe's existence or lifetime where you're trying to figure out, okay, if we design this shoe, can it hold up to the rigor of a category specific action or activity? So I think you had mentioned, Nick, that in the past you were basketball wear testing, correct? Yeah, yeah. So basically from, I think, I want to say like probably around 2000 or so through like 2007 or 2008, I wear tested probably, I don't know, probably a 10 to 15 pairs for Nike throughout those times where I would, uh, you know, get the shoes, kind of give feedback on the fitment, on the sizing, on the materials and play in them. Usually like on a, like I would say like a 45 day return Mm -hmm. policy type thing. So um, didn't get to write about them publicly, but wrote about them, you know, for Nike to kind of use as like a way of seeing where they wanted to go with that product. So that's cool. It it, it was to, to Mike's, you know to what mike was saying before we started recording it was actually just something at the time that you could just like the website was up there and you just submit all your you know kind of interests and qualifications and whatever kind of kind of sell them on the idea of you being a product tester for them and and hope that somebody you know liked what they saw basically so (laughs) yeah there's still a website like i know we're talking about the mars yard from nike right now but as we were going through our like our pre-shows looking, you know, our research, if you go to, I think, uh, where if you just type in, you know, product testing, first thing that popped up, uh, I saw producttesting.adidas.com. And just like Nick mentioned, you can go in, fill out this information, uh, survey, so on and so forth. If someone picks you, they'll run you through whatever that process looks like to actually wear test for them. But I, you know, I, I think if it's something I just may just apply for to see what happens, because I think it's kind of cool to see, the inners, because, you know, we're always talking about design materials to be able to see it from like that, that point of still unfinished, uh, unfinished uh, product is, is kind of cool. I think. 
Absolutely. And I think that's where, and you were alluding to this as well, Nick, the Marjard 2.5 is unique because I don't think it's affiliated with a particular category. And how I kind of got to know about the mystique and the aura behind this shoe is I had a couple different friends of mine hit me up saying, are you going to make a video for this? And I was out of the loop. So I said, what are you guys talking about? So then they kind of explained to me about the mythology of the Mars Yard program. And the thought is you have to come up with the most extravagant, but hilarious, but genuine video about what you would do to test out the Mars Yard. And the thought was, no matter what you think, go bigger. So if you yeah. think I'm going to jump into this pond with these Mars Yard and it's this gross, filthy pond that's full of leeches and seaweed and whatever else, Mars Yard aesthetic basically says, go bigger, go deeper. And it's been fun to kind of look at it from the perspective of, okay, I see different people making the Instagram story saying, this is my Mars Yard test. I'm such and such from this town. And it is brilliant marketing because now it turns into what the internet is famous for, which is a game of one-upsmanship. So if you're going to jump into this pool of jello from five feet, well, I'm going to wear my Mars yard and go up from 20 feet. Oh, that's cool. I might just do, I don't know, 15 jello shots. And there's nothing that's too out there from my understanding. Now, am I accurate in that, guys? Or is there some nuance that I'm missing that lets me know that, hey, you've got this whole Mars yard spirit wrong? No. From what I've seen, it's literally, I want you to beat this shoe to crap uh, because look at the pictures of some people they were trying to advertise it with. Like there's a guy with about eight, you know, pounds of like mud caked onto this Mars yard as he's walking through, you know, just a forest looks like. Uh, someone like in the freaking puddle. Uh, someone climbing a water tower. Like th Basically what they like to call the, the popular term is the quote-unquote urban ninja who likes to ah. just kind of, you know, go, you know, like the photographer was like hanging off the building with one arm and stuff like that, which I do not condone at all. I'm going to die. Um, but that's, that's kind of what they're looking for. Just like, are you going to run in them? Are you going to beat them? But I think the funny part about it is that if you didn't read the fine print, which let's be honest, a lot of us saw Mars. You're like, Ooh, I get to, I get to have it. You have to give them back. So it's going to be a lot of sad people who submitted all this information thinking that, yes, I got the new Mars Yard. I'm going to go actually not going to wear it. I'm going to resell it. You have to give the shoe back. You have to beat the shoe so it, it, it can't be worn anymore. Give you experience because the journal entries, I think you have to keep. You're basically doing a science experiment for Nike, turning it in along with the shoes to see the end product. And I think for people who do things like us, you know, just kind of want the story and, you know, other guys like out there, other, other teams out there, I think it's really cool to be able to do that, to see exactly, Oh, I have this shoe. I got to actually live in the shoe and here you go. What is what it is. And it's going to build up. It's going to do a couple things. Of course it builds up Nike because of this crazy way they've done it. Each person who has this shoe, if they are in the sneaker fashion, uh, influencer world, whatever it is, they're going to take these crazy pictures of them doing nonsense in this very expensive or perceived expensive shoe. And then their brand goes up. So there's a lot of give and take from this program that you don't really see in different of different product testing programs. So I, I think it's, there's, a, there's a, you know, Nike's the best marketing company in the world. That's why we get these things. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this a different direction than I even thought I would when we first started talking about this idea, because 
as we're sitting here talking about this, I'm thinking about like Casey Neistat, who, you know, I think everybody knows obviously is a huge YouTuber, right? Mm -hmm. Had, you know, uh, his, his make it count YouTube video was like a, uh, a fuel band YouTube. It was, it was basically a commercial for fuel band. The concept was that Nike gave him a budget. He said, forget the budget. I just want to travel around the world with my friend and that will be your commercial. And it, it worked like it was, it, you know, right. kind of one of his most successful early viral video, not early, but like a very much a, you know, early viral video video for him. I think maybe even like early YouTube for him, but you know, this is probably 10 years ago or something. Yeah. Fuel band. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so the funny thing about that connection is that Casey and Casey, I think was like a, like an, an intern or a, you know, like worked with Tom Sachs, you know, in the mid two thousands. So there's an interesting element of doing, just doing the real things that you do in the mm -hmm. storytelling. Right. Yep. Um, because if you watch that video, um, I think in that video or in the making of that video, Casey basically says, I didn't even remember to wear the fuel band. I didn't have one on for the entire video. So obviously it was, it was great anyway, because it was like, it was the whole thing was just go do it. Right. Like whatever it yeah. is, travel the world, run, jump, like go swim, like all these things that he did in this video. But then like, you didn't really need the product to, to, you know, to sell the product. Right. It's, yeah. It's a it's an aspirational thing, but that connection just kind of popped into my head of like oh, I forgot that they work together. You know, I I don't know what their relationship was, you know, or or is, but like you can you can Google the two of them and find plenty of photos, kind of uh, you know, with with both of them back in the mid two thousands or whatever it is. And yeah. to me, it also just kind of reinforces that like hey, like like good ideas are good ideas no matter when you do them, right? Sure. If if Tom Sachs wants real life people using his product to market his product, that's a genius idea. It's so simple, but like as long as you give people the opportunity to do it and encourage that, you know, execution and like to to just whatever it is, you know, and then you can especially if you do it as a as a group, right? You can pick and choose the ones that you think are are going to work the best for you and however you end up using that. But it's kind of cool that they're like almost vetting the people on the way that they're going to use these products, wear these shoes through this kind of Instagram, you know, or challenge, whatever. Right. Because now you already know the type of content that you're going to get back from them before you commit to giving them, you know, the pairs to go do this with. Right. Yeah. I think it's just a really kind of ironic and cool which also makes it even more cool nowadays, right? That <laughs> you just literally have normal people going and doing what they do and that's your marketing. And I think that's simple and, and awesome at the same time, right? Like, I know it wouldn't be like, you know, uh, you know, I think of like, I forget who, oh, I, I think, I think Barry had the, uh, the anti-dad bod, dad bod club sticker in the discord this week. <laughs> and I'm like, that's kind of genius, you know, I mean, it's genius in a lot of ways, but like you could literally do that at this point and make it cool to sell like, I don't know, monarchs, right? Like people yeah. view that shoe as a dad shoe. Why not show a bunch of dads 
you know, pre-COVID or whatever, but like hooping <laughs> at the 24-hour fitness in Monarchs or running in the, in, you know, running around chasing their kids around a Walmart, you know, in Walmart, in a Monarchs, right? That's real life. And like, it's also can be fun and, and inspirational and aspirational at the same time. Hey man, grilling, cutting the grass, all the good things. It was funny when the concept of testing out this uh, shoe came to my mind. I'm like, if this shoe had come out, let's say at the turn of the century, like what better synergy than doing episodes of Jackass wearing the Tom Sachs shoe? Because I think that's that type of energy that they want. See, Just yeah. eat the shoe up. I watched that. Yeah. Where's the Tom Sachs inspired Jackass collab? The other thing I found interesting was a point Mike had mentioned around the fine print. So we're reading the press release that I'm currently seeing on Sneaker, or sorry, Soul Collector. And one thing that's really interesting to me is the very last sentence, which says, at the end of the program, the shoes will be returned, sanitized, studied, repaired, and reissued. So is there a concept that there's multiple phases of testing? And once these shoes have gone through the gamut and then gone through the gamut of cleaning are they going to be issued out to more people so you're getting a wider and wider study or how do you guys interpret that statement because my experience with wear testing has always been like you give your shoe back and that's it i think it kind of goes into what we we're talking about earlier as well it kind of goes to another brand and that's adidas with their future was it future craft loop uh where they yeah. wear tested the sneaker 1.0 they gave it out to however many people they it was a running shoe so they did their running gave their findings, turned it back in. They cleaned the shoes, sanitized them, broke them down, and created the 2.0 version with those same materials. So very recycle-friendly, uh, uh, planet-friendly uh, shoe. And then they sent it back out to people again to test the, the changes because they changed little minor things here and there depending on what was said in those, uh, in those, I guess, in those studies. So I wonder if they're going to pull a a space hippie type deal and break everything down to like the crater foam, blah, blah, blah. Use that material again to, if there need to be any changes before a full on release, boom, here we go. Or I could be completely wrong. They're just going to clean the shoes, uh, redo the materials and give them back. Hey, here's a present. Thanks for wear testing these for us. I mean, it's really interesting. There's, there's so many ways they could go with that. Right. Because like you said, you know, crater foam or like, you know, the future craft loop stuff. I mean, I was last year I was doing work with keen footwear and keen is a, you know, an outdoor brand more primarily, um, kind of like hiking shoes and, um, you know, a lot of like, you know, they make like industrial type shoes, right? Steel toed boots and things of that nature. But they also have some really interesting kind of niche market stuff that, um, and you know, like they've had like a series of things that are like really successful in Japan. They have a at the, at the time. They, there's a lot of people that are no longer there, but they had a, t a group of people that were really focused on thinking about like more outside the normal kind of approaches to this stuff, mm -hmm. um, both in the design world um, and in like the go-to-market strategies and stuff. But the third part of that is like the the manufacturing process. They actually have a they're very so sustainability is is like a super buzzword right like most people don't think of what sustainability actually means and um not to plug but like on the, the this episode this next episode of outside the box um i'm going to talk a lot about sustainability and changing that narrative to 
a, a different way of thinking about it, like thinking of it in like closed loop, um, where this product can continually be recycled into new product. It doesn't, it doesn't, we look at something that's made of recyclable materials, but we don't take into account that, Hey, all the glue that was used on that shoe means none of those recyclable materials are still recyclable. So Keen does a lot of that. They, they have a, a few different programs where they, you can literally grind up some of their shoes and it gets, you know, shot out the other side. And then they convert that into various forms of sandals and flip-flops. And it's a really cool, like recycling program that they've kind of established. And they're very like, I would say a lot of people use that sustainability as a buzz buzzword, but like they've been doing this for a really long time. Their background, although I'm not doing any work for them right now, like the background and the, the awareness of making things the right way and being conscious of the way you choose the materials, they really do a good job of that. They have done that, a good job of that for a long time. And it makes me think like this, this Mars yard thing, I would, I would, pr I would guess that, this is kind of based on my experience with wear testing, right? What you, what you, what they want from a wear tester on the Nike, any company, right? Is like feedback on how you can improve the stuff, but like really like honest and con constructive criticism around a product. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means, you know, learning how the product deteriorates, not, out in nature, but literally how you wear it and how it deteriorates, right? Because yeah. we all have those shoes that, you know, for some reason, the midsole is half gone on the right foot because of the way you walk, right? Yeah. And those are all challenges that come with the, like they, they come with every shoe, but if we buy a pair of Jordans and wear that pair of, let's say it's a Jordan one, right? Even if I hoop in it, skate in it, and wear it every single day, it's going to take me a year or two to get through that shoe to, you know, like really get through to like where that shoe is no longer wearable. Right. But if, if they can do that with the, the Mars yard stuff, potentially going back to that same person, almost taking measurements as that same person goes. So I'm thinking maybe it's not even about recycling and sending it back out after it's sanitized for anyone but that specific person gets that same shoe back. Now they have data subsets that are exponentially more valuable because not only will they see how this person uses it through that time frame, how it actually wears through that time frame, but they can say, look, this is how it's going to compound on that same type of foot, that same type of wearer, that same type of usage over a period of time. So that's what I think would would be like the best choice for them. I don't know if that's what they're doing, but it's really fascinating to think about how, you know, this is something that I think on one hand, I love it because it really is truly sustainable in one aspect, right? You're giving a product to somebody that inherently knows that they're going to give it back. Mm -hmm. And at some point you're going to take that, you know, I don't know the material breakdown in that, but assuming they are going to recycle that in some way, shape or form, but they could go a step further with that and say, look, all these materials are 100% recyclable at all at any given time. We don't use any glues. Everything that we do to this means that we can break it back down and represent it as a new shoe the same way that Adidas did with a future loop. But if you're doing it on a subscription model, this is kind of like the on running model that's coming this year. 
where it's like you're paying whatever that monthly fee is for that shoe to show up. Now, I, I'm not going to spend a ton of money to subscribe to a shoe that I don't get to keep and make my own. Cause I kind of like making the shoes my own. I like them yeah. getting beat up and I like the, the stories that kind of go along with that. But I think it's a really cool concept to give people access to what they would, what I would consider like a, a premium shoe or, or, you know, like a collab, like Tom Sachs is obviously high level in the Nike world. Most people can't yeah. get that shoe, but if it turned out to be, Hey, we're going to make, I don't know, 10 million of these. And anybody that wants to subscribe for this, to this shoe for, you know, a small monthly fee and in exchange, they get to kind of get the feedback and the data that comes from that person wearing the shoe. That's a really interesting kind of shift in the model of, of wear testing, but also in the way that consumers consume the product. So I, you know, that probably is not what they're doing. That's very optimistic on my, <laughs> you know, approach to this to like hope that they're doing this for the best of reasons. But I also think just generally speaking, it's really cool that they're just doing like kind of normal things to market the shoe. And I think that you almost, I almost like it that the sneaker community is less interested and almost like, I'm totally being judgmental, but it feels like the sneaker community is offish towards that shoe because of the, oh, it's not mine kind of nature, right? Yeah. And that's what I like about it the most. So, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Am I wrong to think that this could go pear-shaped? Because the one thing I always worry about is the testing component. And if I'm a lucky person that gets selected for the program... Is there some sort of criteria or editorial slant that I have to take as I'm recording the testing down? Because that's where I wonder if some 14-year-old kid in Missouri decides, I want this shoe because this is hype. All my friends are trying for it. And somehow he or she gets it. And then they have to do that editorial evaluation of it. Like, mm -hmm. how is that going to work? Because I could also see certain people be like, I don't know if I want to write a whole journal about how this test goes. And then... Yeah do the Tom Sachs of the world kind of account for that and say, Hey, we know that we're sending out 8,000 sneakers and maybe a thousand of them won't get that editorial feedback that we so crave. Is that just written off as a sunk cost? Because that's when I kind of worry and wonder how positive is this holistic loop? Because to your point, Nick, I, I really like the concept, but I just worry that people are lazy. They might not get into it every single day. And that's where I'm just wondering, okay, like what is the fail safes to protect against a measure like that of a lazy reviewer or somebody that's just wearing the sneakers and not thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, so on one hand, so I, I'll, I'll dig up the, the kind of form that I use for product testing with Nike and throw it in the discord um, when this episode goes up, but it's part of it is like just predefining the pieces of that from the get go, right? Mm -hmm. It's very much like, look, this is the toe area. This is the front traction. This is the midfoot. This is the lacing. This is, it's, it's like being very specific about what you want to get back in a editorial form. Um, but also I, I would argue that you could potentially see right through the lazy man in the group when you send out a few of these shoes one person is like, I hooped in this 12 times 
and you can see that like the leather is busted, the glue is separated, or the shoe itself is worn down on the bottom outsole. Yeah. Where like the other person was like, I played in this twenty six times, and guess what? There's only one little crease in the toe box, kind of thing, right? Like, I think like on the on the, on the logistics side or on the you know like more technical side of what they're looking for in the feedback, they kind of know, at least to a certain extent, what's real and what's not in terms of like how much the shoe was used. They can they can probably tell the breakdown of of the rubber from the out you know, the outsole, the, the midsole cushioning, most of the time they're using things that they already have. So they have some reference mm -hmm. to say, look, this type of rubber is no good outdoors or vice versa. Right. Like, yeah. and I think of uh, the way I would think of that is like the hyperdunks, right? The original hyperdunk in 2009, right? Mm -hmm. We know that shoe was designed to break down basically in one season like that was kind of the first time like yeah. i don't think it was publicly said but it was almost like common knowledge that look we're using a foam that is not long-term durable because it will perform at a higher level for that shorter period of time and i think that's probably how they look at it but you know for me like thinking about my experience wear testing for nike there there was you know like there wasn't a lot of back and forth, right? There was very much like, this is your assignment. Go do what you're going to do. Give us these, you know, 20 points of feedback or 10 points of feedback, depending on the product. Yeah. And that's all like, and, and there was always space for me to like be long winded about things. Um, but it wasn't, I think people are less likely to do that when they don't get direct feedback. Right. It's like, look, you know, I did that for seven, eight years and only got to talk directly to a couple of people that were on the product testing team outside of those standard, you know, group emails that were a part of that whole system. So once, once you, you know, once you realize that people aren't going to go too far beyond the norm, it kind of becomes easier to just group that all in. And to your point about, you know, writing off the people that, you know, you look, you're sending out X amount of pairs. I mean, this is just like kind of standard survey material type thing, right? You you know that, you know, poll workers or, you know, I think like all those people that used to be in the malls that are like, look, we'll give you a free movie ticket if you just fill out this little survey, right? <laughs> it's all the same kind of thing, right? Like they know that like half the people are going to be completely fake about it and just try to get the free movie ticket. Half the people that are product testing probably just want early access to the shoes. Nike was very stickler about posting your shoes to the internet. I mean, social media was not what it is now back then, mm -hmm. but like, it, I mean, I don't know anybody personally that got booted off the product testing um, program, but there was always people talking about it on Nike talk that, that like, Oh, they posted because there's people from Nike in the Nike yeah, talk forum. Yeah. So like, if you didn't think about that before, you know, it's your fault <laughs> for kind of not thinking, but um, I don't know. It's, it's a really, it's a really interesting question because the aspect of, of getting more personal with the consumer is where I think the real value in this whole program is, right? Yeah. It's it's one thing to like predefine stuff the way that they did with my product testing back in the day. It's another to have, especially with the amount of people that are passionate about footwear. I mean, I talked to, to Drew and, and Chris at Wear Testers about this, you know, like, 
Chris's value to a brand that's producing basketball shoes is through the roof, right? Like he's mm-hmm. played in so many pairs of shoes. Like regardless of how you feel about the type of content he makes, his personal opinions, his basketball skill, his favorite food, it doesn't matter, right? The fact that he's played in so many basketball shoes over the past 15, 20 years means that there's huge value in him giving feedback on other basketball shoes that are being made. Yeah. And that to me is like how, like the next evolution of this is going to be really insane, right? Like how do you take Mars Yards 3.0 or 5.0 or whatever it is and like, you know, give them the Casey Neistat treatment, right? Literally run around the world in the shoe for a month and see what happens and let's talk about it, right? Because that could be, one, it's content that I'd want to see. I would love to see somebody that really takes 30 days of just going hard at a shoe to see what happens. Like that's entertaining for me as a consumer, as a sneaker consumer specifically, but I would I would be into that almost any type of product, you know, like let's just see, like like especially if it's a, if it's an, you know, remotely entertaining or, or well-spoken individual, then it's like, wow, like, you know, not only am I becoming more of a fan of the brand by, you know, this kind of narrative, but also I become a fan of this person that potentially could become an advocate for the brand that's way yeah. made more real than a traditional sponsorship. So, uh, and I honestly, on, on that point, Nick, I think that's why people are going to probably, you're going to have more people maybe following the rules of this because we're in a point now everybody is trying to be like how can i get it in with nike if i do this can i win on sneakers or if i do this will they remember me and send me other stuff it's gonna be like all right i'm gonna do this and see what happens maybe if i if i'm a good tester they'll they'll love me and remember me and i think it's gonna be all internal what can i get from it as opposed to uh you know back then you're like oh i want to you know i want to be able to you know have that knowledge and well, there's, there's going to be people who want to have the knowledge and want to see, you know, break down a shoe. But I think you're going to have that fair amount who are looking to get it in with Nike. It's like, hey, they let me do this, that, and the other. You know, maybe they, you know, throw me something in the, on the back end sometime or somewhere. The other thing I find unique about this is, and it's a point I mentioned earlier about the category-specific wear testing. How do we classify the Mars Yard shoe? Is it sportswear? Am I overthinking that, or is it considered sportswear? Uh, I, I, mean, I think I, it I comes in sportswear box. Sportswear. Yeah, it comes in so, a red but, box. Yeah. Okay. Let's work with the the point that Mike made. We, it's sportswear. What is product testing for sportswear? Because Joe Schmo, like me, might think a sportswear shoe is just meant for flexing, doing your day to day, and maybe that's the whole point of the Mars Yard program mm-hmm. is. They want to see people not treat it as this shoe to justify whatever hype thing that they're going to do, but rather use it for their day-to-day of, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to pick up my kids. I'm going to go to the library, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting too because – so one of my experiences at Finish Line was really interesting because, you know, when I, when I was at Finish Line, I think it was the Air Max 20 20- – 14 or 2015 um came out and and it was like a big it was a big deal for us we needed to sell a lot of pairs for it to be you know like to justify having so many pairs and part of what i was tasked with was you know kind of 
just making sure that like we got it to influencers, got creative back, got a lot of placements, all that kind of stuff, right? Everything to do with content and kind of like the digital, you know, landing pad that you create when you send out product or, or content, right? Yeah. Like whatever, whatever noise you could make on the internet, that was my responsibility or my team's <laughs> responsibility. And one of the challenges from the very beginning was Nike wanted us to use, uh, you know, their assets, which were, you know, the athletes that they had at the time. I can't remember who, but I want to say it was like Jamal. No, not Jamal Charles. Who, somebody who was with the chief, somebody with the chiefs, probably like around that time. Um, but like, was it Travis know, Kelsey early years? It might've been. Yeah, it might've been. I'm trying, really? I, I can't remember specifically, but. Anyway, like it was like, look, here's our three athletes, photos of this person running up and down the stairs of the stadium. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. Beautiful, like super dope, like everything you would expect from Nike, but very aspirational, right? Like that's not necessarily a finish line customer, right? The finish line customer is not coming into the store to, to just do it and to be better and to like <laughs> be the best that they can be and like all those things that you associate with Nike marketing slogan stuff, right? Yeah. They come into the store looking for a shoe that like, you know, especially a 200, 200 plus dollar Air Max with a big bubble. They just want that shoe so they can wear it to the gym because it turns heads. They want to wear it because yeah. if they walk down the street, people are going to be able to see the neon bubble from across the street and be like, damn, that guy just spent 200 and some dollars on that pair of shoes. So, yeah. you know, like we went back and forth a lot and like, you know, I kind of, not to get into the like nitty gritty of it, but like, I definitely like, you know, got a little heated about the situation because I was like, look, I, I love Nike. I absolutely respect the company, but like, I don't work for them. So like, I need to give this to, to my people and let them tell their story because that's more important than this football player or whomever that you're going to plug into this. Yeah. I think that's great for your guys's channels, but like, I need like Fomer did a video on it. Um, it's an incredible video. I'll link to the description and keep in mind, this is five years ago. So like the camera quality was not even up to the level of our, you know, webcams, but like the storytelling <laughs> that he did with it was like absolutely perfect, not only for him, but like it just resonated with our customers. And, you know, like I think Jacques got a pair, he ended up going up in a helicopter over LA. And it was like back when like that was like rarely seen kind of became like super a thing for a while, but like getting to see people just like, just do it. And like, you know, I can't remember the slogan that, that that shoe had, but it was like, look, the, the just do it for a professional athlete or someone who aspires to be a professional athlete is completely different from the, the kid that's walking through the mall that is going to be at halal guys later tonight, because that's what we do at 2 AM in New York city. Right. Like, yeah, I, and, and I think that's an interesting challenge that, you know, I ran into in my career that I relate to this conversation because ultimately there's a lot of different purposes that these types of things can serve, right? Like they can, they can serve personal level connections and, and, you know, like very intimate feedback. They can serve as more of a general calling card to the public, and they can also turn that calling card to the public into potentially more what, you know, what we would call influencer partnerships, right? It's like, yeah. 
hey, if, if one of these people gets one of these shoes and you're blown away by what they do with it and how they represent that shoe and the, and the content that they give back to you, you're, of course, going to work with them because, yeah. you know, it's like the best example of that, not to stay on the finish line thing, but like before we get off here, Tony Mui from, from Complex, like won our The Fundamentals basketball campaign thing when we were at finish line. And his content was so damn good that Brandon and I were just like, can we just hire this guy? But like, of course, like we, we weren't in a place to do any of that. Like we weren't doing video, but look at where Tony's at now. Like he's shining because look, he was, you know, he kind of just got to, to experience a little bit of that, got to come hang out with us in New York while we did the fundamentals ended up like winning. And we were like, look, we can't we can't actually hire you because it wasn't a contest for a job. It was literally like, you know, I think it was like win a pair of sneakers or something. But at the same time, like what you're doing is incredible. And like, you know, like here's some people that we know that could, you know, you could work with. And I I think like yeah, we should just have him on the podcast at some point. But like yeah. I think at some point, like he was he was kind of in between like working for Complex or Vice. But he was also in this place of like not working at all. And it's like, look, he's trying to get a job. And like, how do you break through? Which, to kind of finalize my thoughts on this, I think the most, the coolest thing about this entire thing is not necessarily the trying to recycle shoes thing. It's not necessarily the, you know, limited nature of the pairs or the limited nature of the experience. But what will come from the people that got to have that experience and their new relationships with the people at Nike or potentially Tom Sachs on his other business ventures and creative ventures and what that could result in. Because ultimately, once you, if you can throw something out there that inspires people's creativity, there's no telling where your partnership can go from that, right? Because it starts yeah. the conversation. It opens the, the, the communication lanes to have this conversation today or in five years when you're like, Hey, we haven't talked for a while. Yo, what's up? Let's grab some coffee. And now it's like fully back to full speed on like, what are you working on? I don't know. Yeah. What are you working on? Okay, let's go do some cool shit, you know? <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think about it that way, but you're right. That's just, it's more of a, this is maybe set people up for connections if they're creating that just group content because guarantee that they're going to take this outrageous content and make, you know, some great social media run ads uh, because it's, it's going to be crazy. Like people, like you said, jumping into lakes or, you can have someone, you know, bungee jumping in the margin or whatever it may be. There's going to be some crazy, uh, crazy ad play in a, what, give it six months to a year once they collect everything back from everybody. Yep. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. signed up for but... this. <laughs> I mean, I'm amped to, I, I, let's go, let's make a pack, boys, going forward if we do Mars Yard 3, we just do the Sneaker History official podcast entry where all four of us are part of the pitch to get a pair. You have to have all of us. You can't just have one of us. <laughs> no, it's uh, somebody com- compared us to Captain Planet the other day. So, yeah, that's us. When, with our powers combined, we <laughs> make Mars Yard 3.0. There it is. You heard it first. I'm in. Can we, can we add uh, one uh, stipulation to that? Uh, you mentioned a few months back a pizza place that served Indian pizzas. Oh, and of course. I forgot to tell you that a couple of weeks ago I found one in my neighborhood here in Sacramento. Oh, 
and oh. it's phenomenal. So well, I won't mention any specific names, but if there's an Indian pizza place in your neighborhood, I think it's worth a shot. But also yeah. I think we should either make that a part of our pitch or at least our celebration for the success of our pitch, whether we win or not, right? No, I think <laughs> it separates us because from what I've gathered, the whole point of the Mars Yard entries are to differentiate yourself. And I yeah. think the concept of Indian pizza is really a perfect metaphor for what the Mars Yard shoe wants you to do, which is combine things that don't necessarily go together, showcase how brilliant that combination is, reap the rewards of it, and then give it back to the community so other people can enjoy it. I mean, if this wasn't How a pitch, even... I'm just saying, like, <laughs> come on, I know y'all listening. I know y'all <laughs> Basically, right, what's so Houston gonna... doing for pizza? Dude, well, I was so, <laughs> I was going to seriously chat. So there's a place, I had a, one of my good friends, he's uh, he's Indian as well, and he brought me to a place in downtown, actually. Uh, this is some years back, but Indian pizza place. And uh, it was pretty solid. We have some pretty, actually, you know, for being a South, we have some pretty solid pizza places down here. For sure, man. Like, uh, I I had a close friend from Houston. Her brother managed the Indian pizza place. So it's one of those things, man. The South has something to say always, whereas previously we thought it had something to say about hip-hop because Outkast in, like, 1995. Now it's about pizza. We like food. We like food. Yeah. <laughs> That we do. That we do. Oh wait, you're, no. I'm. I'm. I. <laughs> as a as a uh, Captain America representative. Oh, no, Captain Planet. Sorry. Uh, the, they're the same thing. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. On the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like food. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, Where are we going? Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Dude, All right. We well, need to have hopefully by the time party. you're listening to this episode, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, by the time you listen to this episode, we have a food sponsor. We're we're uh, you know uh, wearing Marjos, you know, consuming uh, <laughs> some Postmates or something. You know, as we yeah, I don't want to. I'm going to edit Postmates out, even though I just said it again. But <laughs> cut 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 us the check and send us dinner. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> That's all we want. Hey, it's it's been it's been an awesome conversation. Uh, I'm obviously, I think this was a really good one. Hopefully, if you're still listening, you have some Indian pizza in your neighborhood that you can share with us, especially if you're in a Discord. Discord, uh, what do we call Discorders? Discorders? Now, I was if you're in our Discord. We, sneaker historians? That was, yeah, oh, that's what I was yeah, going. Sneaker. All right. Now, all right. <laughs> let's workshop that name. I think the collective four of us, including, and you know what? Let's include the Discord because the Discord. What do y'all want to be called? Yeah, what do y'all want to be called? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think this, this hopefully opened up your, uh, your eyes and, and mind to some possibilities around what this, you know, what I think has been deemed as just another hype release thing in the sneaker world, but could actually be something much more important. And to me, that's kind of like the point of the podcast is to get people thinking a little bit differently about the way that we just go through all of this, like consumer cycle of sneakers because there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening and you know it's not all just me talking about food so um and and honestly shout out to shootistics shootistics.com yeah. I'm, I'm gonna that that was super dope review if you uh, i'm gonna stop rambling 
thank you guys for listening uh guys let them know how they can find you <laughs> yeah you can find me of course at sneaker history also instagram and twitter at madwatcher789 and then youtube at mike gillery row it where you fat buddy i am at rohizi on twitter i am at rowit m13 on instagram and usually you can find me in our fourth horseman's comments and that is r-a-h-b-e-e 702 that's robbie shout out to robbie yeah. nice yeah and you can find me at nick engvall on all the platforms more importantly just follow at sneaker history if you are still listening you should absolutely join our patreon slash discord patreon.com slash sneaker history because the types of conversations we're having right now are exactly what 75 to 100 other people are having all the time in our discord and it's always a fun time so thank you all we appreciate you and we'll catch you on the next one peace see ya Hey y'all, Nick Ingvall here. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a portion of your week hanging with us, and if there are any ways that we can improve the podcast for you, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneakerhistory and join us for as little as 5 bucks a month. That also gets you access to our Discord group, which is a lot of fun. Also, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. We just started uploading our videos there now, so you can watch the video version of the pod and a lot more. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. It's a small gesture that can go a really long way to making somebody's day a little bit better. Thanks again, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.